0: This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful
1: board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at dicetowernetwork.com. It's the UK Games Expo preview special on episode 44. Starting off with some quick first impressions of Keyflower and Shipyard, I will then go on to talk about what I'm expecting at the UK Games Expo, what's going to excite me and what tips to give you as to what you should look out for as well. And then as a bonus treat for you, no top 10, but an interview with Henry Jasper of Grubbling Games Publishing. Hi everyone, welcome to the Broken Meeple again, and this is the pre UK Games Expo special that I'm doing. I'm getting this one out before the Games Expo starts, and I must admit I'm cutting it close on the 31st of May, but this is going to be a bit of a different format to usual episodes. I do have one or two first impressions I'd like to go over as well, however, instead of the one more game segment and a top 10, what I instead have is a bit of a treat for you. Firstly, I'm going to talk about the UK Games Expo itself, including what's going to happen there, how it's changed from previous years in terms of the format per the guide, and give a few highlights as to what I'm going to be doing there personally. Also, on top of that, I have a nice little treat for you, I did an interview literally about... Ten minutes ago, it wrapped up with Henry Jasper of Grubbling Games Publishing. Grubbling Games Publishing is a publisher, funny enough, in Cornwall of the UK, just next door to my neck of the woods in Somerset. And we were chatting about the new game that they're kickstarting called Perfect Crime, which sounds completely up my street in terms of theme and style of game so i'm looking very much forward to checking it out at the expo but i'll be doing that at the end of this podcast it's roughly about 30 minutes long so essentially i'm going to replace the top 10 segment with it on this occasion And no doubt top 10s will resume themselves in the next episode, which I will do a quick episode just after the UK Games Expo to give my thoughts and the top 10 from that as well. So you could almost think of this as part one and the next one is part two, but I'm going to think of it as two episodes, so meh. So, first off, what is happening lately? Well, obviously I've been planning for this expo for a little while. Not as well as I usually did in the past, but I am looking forward to it so much. I'm even doing extended hours at work today and tomorrow just so that I can leave early on Thursday. Thankfully, my accountancy job is relatively flexi-time. And I'll be heading in there on Thursday afternoon, literally just after lunchtime. I'm going to start driving from Portsmouth up there. It's going to take me about three and a half hours, I reckon, given the traffic around Oxford and Birmingham. And hopefully I'll be there for some open gaming fun for Thursday to psych myself up for Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Other than that, things are still progressing nicely with regards to the house. I will be still moving in September time for the opening of my new built house and my new games room that I'm setting up and the intention is that I will get back into video when I'm in that new room and I've got a much quieter location with hopefully better sound that kind of thing but I may have to do a bit of a small kickstarter around that point in order to fund the equipment because obviously I do not want to be talking through a headset for the rest of my podcasting days I want to have a decent microphone I want to have a good camera I want to be able to resurrect the YouTube channel which was popular people are still subscribing to it. It now which I thank you for even though there's been nothing happening on it for ages since I officially declared it dormant but I want to resurrect it soon so thank you for at least keeping track and shall we say keeping the faith it is going to happen but I just need a little bit of help at the time in order to make that possible and join the video crew once again But enough about that, I'm going to get on with a couple of first impressions of games I played on Bank Holiday Monday, and then I will get on talking about the Games Expo. So, here we go. Now, on Bank Holiday Monday, I played several games, and two of which I'm going to be doing reviews for, so I'm not going to do first impressions of them today. What I'm going to talk about is the two games that I won't be reviewing as such, but were also new at the time. So we'll start with the the lesser of the two, although that doesn't necessarily mean bad, and that is Shipyard by Czech Game Editions. This is a fairly dry Euro game where you are building ships of various lengths and putting things like cranes and guns and crew members on them, etc set in the i think it's set in the 19th century or 18th century around that time so you're talking you know that kind of technology and you'll sail these ships out on little canal tiles to gain points your game points based on what your ship is uh, carrying on it what it's how big it is how fast it is that kind of thing but the crux of the game isn't really the theme the theme is very light where this game comes into play ...is the rondelle mechanics that are used throughout. If anybody has played half of the old style Euro games... ...you'll know that rondelle mechanics were quite a big thing. And to be honest, I still enjoy them now. The Except you've got several in here. You've got different tracks where you can acquire the things to put on your ship... ...and the crew members and sell... Uh, commodities for money in order to afford it and it's all powered by various rondelle mechanics where you have the piece on this ring with all the different spaces on it and when you select the action you can move a certain amount along that circle and depending whether you pay extra you might be able to go a bit further but essentially your timing when you do the action based on where the piece is. But on top of that, you've also got the main turn sequence and almost like the game timer, which itself is another weird rondel mechanic. There's a little loop and the tiles for the various actions are in a, in a row set out at random. And the idea is, is that when you, it's almost a bit like worker placement, you put your meeple on one of those actions and you do the action. And you can also pay some money to do a bonus action. When you ne- take your go next, your tile that you are on moves to the front of this row and it keeps like chopping and changing in that respect, traveling around this loop, almost like a bit of a sort of weird broken snake type thing. And the idea is, is when the tiles get all the way around in a big loop, that's the end of a round and after several rounds, the end game scoring happens. But it's really neat how the rondelle works in that because if the action is at the very front, then you'll be able to do it, but you won't be able to get any money for it because you get bonus income based on how many players are in front of you when you do a particular action. So if you take one of the tiles that's at the very back, it may not necessarily be the one that you desperately need, but it might just get you that little bit of extra income in order to survive in the later game. And you can also hire what they call quote-unquote employees, but basically it's little perks, little special abilities that increase the value of the actions you do. And essentially that's it. You travel around these rondelles, you construct the ships, you sell them off, and most victory points wins. It is pretty dry. You could replace this with a very a fair variety of themes, and it would still work. But mechanically it's alright. I don't think it's the most entertaining Euro I've ever played, certainly not. I think there's not a great deal in terms of paths to victory. You're you're building the ships and you're trying to get You know, enough on them so that you get the most points, i.e., up your speed, etc. There's only so many ways you can do that, so you can't really say I'm specializing in this. You know, you might say I'm doing bigger ships and I'm doing smaller ships, but that's about it, really. You do have some objective tiles, and it's pretty neat that you have a selection of objective tiles to start the game with, but midway through the game you have to discard all but two of them in order to at that point decide right this is what i'm aiming for i could have aimed for this but now this is my chosen one so it works fine as a typical euro i'm not I wouldn't even call it average. I'd say it's above average. It was a decent mechanical game. It kept me thinking. Though I probably wouldn't play it again with four players. Because I think the time it takes is a little bit long. It's only about two hours. And we're not talking the longest game in the world. But I think two hours and above is a bit long for a game of this particular nature because there's a little bit of depth in it but we're not talking anything brain burning. it's pretty straightforward to figure out what you need to do on a particular turn and there's very little of any player interaction in this game apart from the simple you blocked my action that's pretty much it you can't really influence other players in any other way apart from chopping and changing the price of the commodities and blocking spaces. So, all in all, Shipyard is an okay Euro game. I'd call it above average. I gave it a 6 out of 10 when I was giving my honest opinion to my mate about it. I was happy to play it. I'll be happy to play it again, I'm just not going to actively seek it out. But, all in all, it was a relatively unheard of game around. He'd only just bought it and I hadn't really heard of it apart from seeing it on the occasional library shelf. So, I was glad to get a go of it and I thought it was okay. So, A sort of half thumbs up for Shipyard. Now we're going to get to one of the most unexpected liked games I was expecting to see this last month i have been waiting to play keyflower for a very very long time i've seen people bring it out i've had my mate paul from gaming rules exclamation mark point it out on a regular basis you know he really loves it and i just never got a chance to play it things were putting me off i didn't want to buy into the hype because hype usually destroys a game for me half the time and Yes, it's in the top 25 on BoardGameGeek, but we all know what the ranking system's like on there. And I was told it had auctions, which put me off as well. So, there were, you know, obviously people who know the game know that it's not actually auctions, but bear in mind this is what information I had to go on. It wasn't talked about a lot on podcasts or review sites, because it's not the most recent game ever. And just generally, nobody really had it locally. But then, someone brought it yesterday. So, given the choice between that and Power Grid, have a guess which one I was willing to play more. Hmm? I jumped into Keyflower without a second thought. And I'm glad I did. This is a really neat little Euro game. I mean, obviously, yeah, the theme is pretty much non-existent. But what you have is it's kind of like a myriad of all different types of mechanics really. You're you're going for victory points at the end of the day but the way you do that is that you have a collection of three different colors of meeples, blue, red and yellow. And you have tiles in the middle of the table which are various locations that give you special things like generating resources or transporting goods around that kind of thing or just giving you straight up victory points. All of these can be upgraded with the use of resources and the way that It happens. It's really neat. Each of you has your own village, and you start off with your basic home, or your town hall, maybe you want to call it. And it's almost like a mini-game of Carcassonne. When you get tiles, you put them in your own village, and they have to attach to each other in a logical sense. You know, the roads have to connect, like in Carcassonne. And with these meeples, you have them hidden behind a screen, which I've got to say, who designed the screens in this? I don't know what was going on there, but there's no rules in the book from what I could tell that explains how to put these things together. And when uh, the girl in the group was actually putting them together and finished with it, granted it looked good, but oh my god, it looked complicated. What, what was wrong with just a free folded piece of card. I don't know. It just it looks like a sort of folded house with little bits sticking out in that. And it looks cool, but wow, that was a bit complex. Anyway, I'm digressing. The idea is is that you have a choice of what to do with these meeples. You can either use the tiles in your own village to perform actions. You can use the actions on the tiles in the middle of the table to do action, to do various things. You can even place your meeples on opposing village tiles. So you've got some interaction with other players in order to use the actions they've got. Or you can place your meeples on your side of the tile to represent you are bidding to acquire that tile. So it's not really auctions, it's just bidding with meeples. Each of these actions is done in turn, so you do one, someone else does one, etc. And it goes around until everybody passes, at which point you can choose a boat tile which has a random selection of meeples and tokens on it, and depending on whether you bid to do it first, second, or third means you get choice over that. And the game sort of rinses and repeats from there. But the really cool thing with this is that when you place a meeple on anything, depending what colour you put on it the opposing players can then only outbid you or use the action again, etc., by using more meeples of the same color. So if I bid on a particular workshop tile with one red meeple, someone has to outbid me with at least two red meeples. And then after that, three red meeples. You can't change the color. So suddenly, I mean, the the colors don't have any special significance. It's just different colors mean that you are restricted from bidding on them if they've already had a particular color associated with them. But the other cool thing is that if you put meeples on your own village, you get them back for the next round. If you bid with them and use actions in the middle of the table and they're successful because you know, you've know you won the bid in that, then they go away out of the game into the randomised bag. So you lose them and have to get more. But if you use other villages' tiles for opposing players, you actually give them the meeples. They take the meeples into their own collection. So you've got to think... Ooh, I want to use his thing but I'm going to give him more meeples and I'm going to run short. And then if you're not careful, in subsequent rounds you'll have so few meeples that you won't be able to win bids. I went for a complete munchkin tactic of i 'm going to collect a bunch of meeples because you also had these objective tiles again, a bit like with shipyard at the start of the game, and you could choose which ones come in the late in the last term, and two of mine were related to collecting lots of meeples, so I went with that theme let's see uh, that's how I play these euro games. I pick a theme, I run with it and see what happens for good or worse, and in this case, it worked very, very well. I had an abundance of colour meeples which meant I had control over the bidding process for a lot of things. On top of that, you can also, I also acquired all three tiles that involved generating green meeples. And green meeples are the same as the other three colours except there's not many ways to get them. So it's almost like a more powerful super meeple, if you will, for locking down tiles because if you put a green meeple down then they've obviously got to put more green meeples down and they're in shorter supply so i munchkinned green meeples and upgraded the tiles and generated a lot of them which meant it gave me so much control particularly in the winter turn i had so many meeples beyond my screen compared to everyone else that by the time they would passed i still had something like four or five actions i could do with all the meeples before i finished my turn so it was a bit of a whitewash points finish but this was a really cool game I never thought that it would interest me that much. I looked at the cover and I thought, okay, looks pretty generic. Looked at the tiles, I thought, okay, the component quality is good. I like the color meeples; it's vibrant, but it looks pretty dry. It's just going to be point generation, but we'll see. And then everything just started being fed to me in drips. You know, like the bidding process, the reason for color meeples, the carcassonne mini game. And it just all gelled together quite nicely. I suppose the only fiddly thing I could think of was the whole concept of when you generate resources they go on specific tiles and you've got to transport them around the map with certain actions. That bit was a little fiddly but other than that the rules were pretty straightforward and elegant. The iconography could be improved. There were a lot of tiles where the special effects were in no way shape or form intuitive but the rulebook has guides for every single tile so that's a fairly minor nitpick. But wow, I was really impressed with this one. Whether I would call it a top 25 game, I don't know. But it just really clicked with me. I don't know why. The mechanics just... It was unique. I hadn't seen it done like that before. And it used a lot of different mechanics from all sorts of different games. And put them to good use. I liked that the fact that you had to balance the meeples as a resource. The fact that you could give your opponents resources by using their actions. So if they bought the tile, it wasn't completely out of your way. And you could stitch up opponents by sticking like green meeples on their ones. But then you're giving them a green meeple. That's a really powerful thing to give them. But you might just lock that tile away from them for the rest of the turn. It was just really neat. i got to give credit to the designer. It was a really good little game i'm tempted to acquire this for my collection i'd like to see what the expansions do to it because i feel maybe it could use a bit of variety in the tiles some of them were a bit samey but i was told that they weren't all used in the game so even that's an improvement a bit of variety i would certainly not want to play this with more than four we played it with four and i thought it was a good length it wasn't too short, wasn't too long. Apparently you can go up to 6 players. I have no intention of playing this with 5 or 6. I think all that would do is just drag the game down too much with AP and extend the time too long. But I think up to 4 players. I think 4 players was a very good sweet spot with this game. I think 3 would be fine. Not sure I'd ever want to play this with 2. I don't see how it would work that well with 2. But who knows, it might do. But 3 or 4 player, simplest Euro game. It really worked. So yeah, I'm gushing about it at the moment, you know, it's not the best Euro ever made, but I I was just more impressed than I expected to be and I think I like that, I like it when a game doesn't necessarily have to wow me, but if it surprises me, it's a bit like Abyss when I played that in last year, I didn't know what on earth Abyss was, I didn't know what it was going to be it was just this weird cover that was talked about and some gorgeous artwork, I thought oh, okay, what's this, now it's in my collection and I love the game, it was the biggest surprise of last year, so I look I was glad to say that King Kingflower Keyflower is the biggest surprise so far of this year, even though it's technically not a 2016 game. But thumbs up, big thumbs up, Keyflower Okay, so a quick talk about the UK Games Expo in general. Well, in previous years it was all held at the Hilton Hotel in Birmingham. Next to the airport terminal. Now this was fine. I stayed in the Hilton in both years and it was very convenient. The problem with the expo being held at the Hilton was that there was only so many rooms that were available and things got a bit cramped. And I mean cramped. You had a lot of people turning up to this expo but the rooms just simply weren't big enough to accommodate so you were packed in a bit like sardines. This wasn't a killer for the expo but you really had to bear it in mind when you were doing anything with it. Now... This year things have changed. They've now managed to secure NEC's Hall 1, so the NEC Exhibition Centre right behind the Hilton. They've secured one of their giant halls, I forget how much square footage, I think it's like 10,000 square foot in that hall. And all the trade hall stuff and some of the open gaming and seminars are being taken place in there now, as well as the bring and buy sale, which I'll get onto later. Now I'm hoping that this means that it will nowhere near be as cramped before. But obviously when you make a bigger venue you then sell more tickets and therefore you get more people. So I am fingers crossed that this will be like a mini Essen. Because in Essen it was quite spacious despite the fact there was a lot of people. And even though you had the occasional bit where you were crammed in, it wasn't that bad. I'm hoping this will be a similar format. So please don't be too cramped. I would like to be able to move around the trade halls and see what's going on without having to worry if my rucksack or water belt or whatever is basically protruding into someone else's spine or column when I'm walking around. Now, I'm going to be walking around in one of two things probably a polo shirt or if they still fit an actual broken meeple t-shirt i bought some a while back they were getting a little bit tight i have since gone to the gym a lot more often and done some running and it seems that on first glance they actually fit me a lot more comfortable now so hopefully i'll be able to wear those and you'll be able to recognize me if you do see me wandering around the expo please say hi You know, I'm not going to bite, I'm not going to be like, oh, don't talk to me, I'm I'm too busy, I'm too tired or anything. I know, I might be rushing to get somewhere, and if so, I'll be polite and just mention that. But ideally, if you want to come up and say hi, then please do. I would love to see you. But, more about the expo in general. Now, the idea with this is that all the trade hall stuff is going to take place in the NEC Hall. So, there'll be a little bit of open gaming, and the seminars will be there. But mainly anything to do with trading, and selling, and demos, and cosplaying. Because that's a massive thing with the Expo now. There's some wonderful cosplayers in this. And even the bring and buy sale will now be in NEC Hall 1. And the Hilton will primarily be a few seminars, but mostly open gaming. Now, what other bits... About the Expo, should I mention? Well, let's talk about the Bring and Buy while I just mentioned it. The Bring and Buy is a very successful second-hand game sale. Everybody can input their choices for what they want to sell ahead of time online, and then they print out some labels, put the games, leave them on the shelf, and then hopefully people buy them, and the the group takes the 10% commission, which is given to the Expo-supported charities, which I believe are Children with Cancer, Admiral Nurses, and Dreams Come True. I'm not entirely certain what the third one is. That, I, mean, I haven't really heard of that one, but I certainly know the first two. They're very nice charities. But the bring and buy sell is really good. It was very cramped in the past, but now it's in the NEC Hall. So hopefully that will mean it will be less cramped. But, you know, we're wishful thinking. But it's really good. If you want to grab yourself a hard-to-find game, a decent bargain, it's the place to go. Now, not everybody's selling at a bargain. You get some people who are being a bit hopeful with their prices... But you'd be surprised how quickly stuff comes in and leaves that Brin and buy. I haven't had, a, I don't think I've had a time where I've sold something in there and it hasn't sold. If it has, it's been something really obscure and you know, that like nobody was really gonna want. But I believe that any time I wanted to sell something, including big stuff, it sold. There's something for everyone. One man's junk is another man's treasure, after all. So I recommend going to see that. It's, I believe. It depends which way you're coming in, but it's basically in a large area of the NEC Hall. I'll say it now, actually. Go to the UK Games Expo website and download the UK Games Expo 2016 guide. It's a great resource to tell you all about the Expo and how it works. I suggest you look at the floor plan for that ahead of time and get some idea of where you want to visit. The bring and buy is on there, clearly marked, so you'll be able to find it as well as everything else. There will of course be a little bit of open gaming all weekend and most of it will take place in the Hilton Hotel. However, some of it will take place in the NEC Hall but only during the day while the trade hall is open. The trade halls are essentially trading from morning hours until 5pm on Friday and Saturday and until 4pm on Sunday. So if you're planning to do shopping, trading and demo playing, I suggest you get in there early, nice and early, have your breakfast early, get straight to the trade hall when it opens... Uh, eleven AM on Friday and nine thirty on Saturday and Sunday. Get in and do all your stuff during the day. Leave the open gaming until the evening or when you finished doing your shopping and trading stuff. But you really don't want to miss out on what's in those trade halls just because you got distracted doing something else. There's plenty of time to do open gaming in the evening. All the rooms in the Hilton Hotel are open till the late hours. It's definitely worth you know planning your time ahead. There will be a main stage in the NEC Hall, which will be used for a variety of activities. And for the most part, it will mainly be prize draws. It will be combat demos with Viking weapons, which sounds really good. And pretty much everything cosplay related will be going on there as well. And there'll be anything... I mean, when you see the cosplay at the expo, you'll see all sorts. You'll see Star Wars, you'll see Doctor Who, you'll see all sorts of Marvel and DC stuff. You'll see all types of cosplay you can think of there. And they're really impressive. I mean, there's always at least been an imitation doctor, a big TARDIS, and a working Dalek that's gone around the place. And I always love seeing the Daleks when they go past. It just makes you feel like a kid again to see that stuff. But the main stage in the Hall will have regular cosplay and demonstrations on there. So I recommend going to there if you want a little bit of entertaining as such. Now, obviously, the problem with buying a lot of games is that you're probably worried that you're going to buy too much and then you've got to carry it everywhere and you can't stay at the NEC I don't think so you're going to have to carry it back to your hotel Well, Leisure Games have got an answer to that. In the top corner of the NEC Hall, there is a shop and drop facility that Leisure Games are running. This hasn't been... I don't think this was in the last two years. I certainly don't recall it, but it's in this one. And the idea is is that they have a secure, walled-off area of the NEC Hall... ...where you can leave your bags of games for a small charge. We're talking £2. So, next to nothing. They'll be placed in their own secure spot, out of sight... ...and then when you're ready to leave, you just come back, return me your ticket and collect the stuff fantastic idea works brilliantly in america and they even go to the next the next level and actually deliver stuff for you but you know shop and drop perfectly fine with us now be warned if you don't pick your stuff up by the end of the day it does get auctioned off because you they cannot store your stuff overnight. So remember that this thing shuts at 5 at various times. So really do not forget to pick up your stuff. I cannot emphasize that enough. Do not shop, drop and leave. Shop, drop and pick it up again at the end, all right? That's the best way to do it. It's a very useful facility. I'll probably even use it myself because I don't want to be carrying big bags everywhere. Trust me, it hurts. But certainly, I recommend using the facility and then just keeping an eye on your watch and maybe setting an alarm on your mobile phone. Although, be careful with your mobile phone in there because in the Hilton, the internet is, shall we say, shoddy at best. You know, you'll be lucky if you get a signal. I don't know if it's better in the NEC Hall, but I'm hoping it'll be better because it makes updating Twitter and Facebook a lot easier if you've got decent internet. And in the past, it's been really tricky to do any kind of update during the expo because the internet has sucked so much I can't upload any pictures without it taking five hours or just giving up halfway through. The next thing I'll talk about quickly is the seminars. This expo is always home to lots of different seminars where special guests will come in and give live shows. They will converse with question and answer sessions or they'll give tips about various things. There's a lot of them. They are on the UK Games Expo guide. There's a huge timetable there so I suggest you have a look. And I'm going to make this year a bit more seminar heavy for me. In the past I've never gone to the seminars Because I've wanted to do too much open gaming tournaments and trade halls. This time I'm going to cut down a bit on my open gaming and go to a few more seminars. Because there's some good stuff here. Now obviously, yes, bias, I will be going to the Dice Tower seminars. It's just going to happen. Now they haven't talked to me about actually appearing on the podcast. I know a couple of people have asked on Twitter about this, but... You know, this is Tom Vassell and Sam Healy's baby, so I'll leave it to them. They've got their own show to do. They've got their own facility to do. They'll probably get people up during the podcast or they'll get people to answer from the audience. You know, I'm not bugging them for this sort of thing. I've just said that I'll lend a hand if they want it. You know, I'm willing to help, but I'm willing to accept that they may not necessarily need it. So we'll see about that. But Tom Vassell and Sam Healy of the Dice Art will be there in various seminars. They've got the live podcast at... 12 noon on Saturday the 4th in this is all NEC hall and they've got a repeat show at four o'clock the same day and on Sunday there will also be a Tom Vassell Q&A session with Sam Healy as well at 1 p.m at the NEC hall as well but I'm going to be doing various other seminars I mean there's all sorts there you've got cosplay tips you've got drawing like a bro sci-fi quizzes live pandemic the dark room which is kind of like a live entertainment style adventure thing uh, Tips on how to create content like YouTube content and board game reviews and that. Hosted by, again, my friend Paul Grogan and various other people in the seminar. I'll be going to that at 11.30am on Friday. And there's a lot of other cool stuff as well. You've got Colin Baker, the sixth doctor, is going to be there. At 11am on Saturday, he'll be doing a Q&A session. And he will also be taking part in the Sci-Fi Quiz, which is at 10am on Sunday. Um, I'm very tempted also to pop along to Run Last Click's live show. They do a very nice Netrunner podcast about, funny enough, the Netrunner card game. And I listen to them as well as two or three other Netrunner podcasts. So it would be good to check them out and meet them in person. So like I say, there's a lot of seminars and there's some really good ones this year. So they're only an hour long. They fit in with the timetable. Now obviously ones at the NEC Hall are going to be during the day. So it will cut into your trade hall activity But at least you'll be able to, you know, make up the time. It's only for an hour each. It's not going to take like the end, you know. It's not going to use up your entire day just to spend an hour at these seminars. Now you can't pre-book these, so you're going to have to be quick on the noggin to get there and, you know, get your seat. Because I don't know how big the capacity is, especially for the Dice Tower lot. You really want to get there early, but. You know these are worth going to. So I'm going to go to a few of those seminars, so I'm sure you will see me at the Dice Tower ones, you will see me at the YouTube tips and content thing, because to be fair, if I'm going to start doing video again, I think I could use all the tips I can get. So I'll be attending that one, and hopefully I'll be able to attend some of the others, like the Run Last Click podcast, or one or two of the others. So hopefully you'll see me at those. Now, obviously, I can't talk about every game that's going to get published there or shown off there, but I'm going to just pick a few out that are worth mentioning. First up, obviously, because of the interview that's about to come up in a second, there is Perfect Crime, which will be a really cool-looking bank heist game where one side plays the bank and the defenses and the other side play the robbers and it's this turn-based system of one side trying to perform the best heist and the other side trying to fend them out. This will be done by Grubbling Games. I recommend you check them out at their booth at C12 and give this one a look. They're looking for playtesters and I'm going to be one of them for definite. On top of that there will be some demo copies I hear for Scythe. This is the big Massively hyped game by Stonemire Games that's going to come out later this year. The Kickstarter was insane. I didn't personally kickstart it because, again, I don't want to get sucked into the hype. I want to see it when it comes out and see what it's like. I only played a couple of turns of it at Essen, so I can't really comment on whether it's any good or not, even though the artwork looks really nice. It's a really cool theme. But this is going to be there. Board Game Extras will be demoing it for Stonemire Games. So at C20 you can go to Board Game Extras booth and check out Sive there. Another game I'll be interested to take a look at is one called Tatsu. It's a two-player abstract game from the same company that brought us Hive. Now Hive was a really cool two-player abstract game where you were trying to surround the opponent's queen bee with various bugs that had special abilities. The, nothing has come out since Hive by this designer and now all of a sudden we now have Tatsu, another two-player abstract game. So if it's anywhere near as good as Hive was then I'm going to be all over this one. It essentially has your pieces traveling around a circular board with the aim of eliminating your opponent's pieces. Well, yeah, that's like most abstract games. When a piece lands on the same space as another, it's attacked according to the color of piece that lands there. And everything's marked with dragons, looks pretty striking. I'm certainly going to pop over to the Gen 42 booth at D19 and check that one out. Those of you that are board gamers of old might remember something called Escape the aliens from outer space this was almost looked like a print and play game really in its first instance it was one of those hidden move slash deduction games a bit like what specter ops and letters from Whitechapel and that have come across now Uh, it's all about misdirection and bluffing that kind of thing except now osprey games at booth g8 have come out with a new deluxe version of it and i hear it looks absolutely brilliant so it sounds like a really cool theme up my street i'm going to be checking them out and see what's what with that Istanbul, a very popular Euro game, has got a new expansion called Brief and Siegel, or Sigal, I'm not entirely certain how to pronounce it. At the Pegasus Spiel booth A4, they will be showing off that. It basically adds more tiles and new pick-up-and-deliver style mechanics. There's not a huge amount of information on top of that, but go check out Pegasus Spiel and see what's what for yourself. Estevium Games, one of the very nice distributors that hands me review copies and again, published by Z-Man Games, Beyond Baker Street is going to be available from the Estevium booth at D14. It's a deductive game where, funny enough, it's basically a race to solve the crime before Sherlock Holmes does. So you're effectively going up against him, even though it's more like you're trying to prove yourself as a better detective than he is. Players must hold various cards away from themselves so that you don't know what's in your hand but your opposing players do, much like the original Spiel de Jahres winner, Hanabi. Now, apart from that, I don't know much else about it, but I've already banged on about how nice Hanabi is as a Spiel Jahres winner, and it was one of the most unique mechanics that had come out in a board game for a long time. So all you had to tell me was that it was a deduction game using the mechanics of Hanabi, and I'm already interested. So I'll certainly pop along to a Steamium at D14 and check that one out. And finally, I'll mention quickly Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu. Now, (laughs) I'm getting a little bit burnt out on Pandemic, and I have no idea why suddenly Cthulhu has been mixed with Pandemic. However, looks interesting. You're taking the disease curing that you remember from the old game, and now turning it into gate shutting and cultist removal. So it's effectively Arkham Horror mixed with Pandemic like you expect. I have no idea what this is going to be like, but it looks very striking. Cthulhu is a fun theme, even though it's been done to death by now. But then again, so is Pandemic, so I suppose that can't really talk. And hopefully, it will be a decent game to play. But just by sheer curiosity alone as to how on earth you're going to blend those two things together... It's also from SDVM Games at T14. I'm going to have a look and check it out. So there's plenty of stuff for me to demo. That's why I'm not going to be doing tournaments. And why I'm going to cut down on my open gaming until the evenings. Because... There's going to be so much to do, so much to try, and I'm going to make it my mission to not only attend the seminars, but to really get into these demos and, you know, maybe drain my wallet through purchases, but, oh well, perks of being an accountant, you don't necessarily have to stick to your budget as much as you would like. Ooh, here's scathing words there, but... I'm going to be enjoying myself, splashing out a bit. Just generally, this is one of my holidays of the year to go to the Games Expo and just be a kid for three days, chatting to people old and new, chatting to podcasters around Britain and the world. Just generally associating with you guys the people who play games the reason i get into this in the first place you know it's not just the enjoyment of a game itself it's the community and the people i play games with that makes me do this podcast that makes me do this review this is why i enjoy doing it this much so i cannot wait for it but for now let's get on with the final part of this particular episode the interview Henry Jasper from Grubbling Games is doing Perfect Crime, I mentioned that briefly a minute ago, and I got a chance to speak to him for about 30 or so minutes to talk about the game itself, the Kickstarter, and plans for Grubbling Games in general, and what the idea is with their plans at the UK Games Expo. It was a very nice informal chat, so don't expect, you know, hours and hours of editing nonsense on this. This was an ad-libbed informal conversation between the two of us chatting about perfect crime the expo and maybe a few little uh, digressions from time to time it was a really cool conversation and i hope it turns out well on this podcast so i'll leave that for you to enjoy for the next 30 minutes and i'll see you a little bit later Hi there everyone, so right now I am joined by Henry Jasper, who some of you may or may not know is the founder of Grubbling Games Publishing, who are based in Cornwall, in my favourite area of the UK, the West Country. No bias to that whatsoever. You may recognise Grubbling Games Publishing from two games in particular that have come out over the last couple of years, one being Cornish Smuggler, and the other being Waggle Dance. That one in particular is a very nice little... Uh, one for your kids, a very unique one, and Cornish Smuggler, I believe I remember seeing at last year's, and maybe even the year before that, UK Games Expo as well. It was certainly brought on to a big extent there. So, Henry, (laughs) how are you doing tonight?
0: Yeah, not bad, Luke. Thanks for having me on.
1: Nah, that's alright. I mean, I must admit, this doesn't happen too often, so it's, it's always nice, but like I said before, it's nice to actually be able to speak to someone in the same time zone because i'm used to having to if i do any of these it tends to be with someone across the other end of europe or someone in america and that means while it's daytime for them it's basically like free in the morning for me and that always causes problems the next day
0: yeah of course no it's yeah it's good to be local i think this is
1: nice yeah good old west country i do i do miss it but the family's still there so i do come back whenever i can
0: well that's not going anywhere so yeah
1: it <laughs> better not, <laughs> so I need it. All right, but the main reason I got you on here is to talk about your newest game, which I believe you've designed yourself. It's not just been published by you, it's actually your design, isn't it, Not.
0: Yep, yeah, that's correct. Um, our new game is called Perfect Crime. It's a uh, good old bank ice game. Um, it's for two to five players. Um, it plays as a co op, um, as a semi co op, or you can play it competitively.
1: Yeah, yeah, I looked at the description for this about two sides, one being like the, essentially the bank robbers, and one being the. the was it, is it the other one like playing the cops, or is it uh, the staff?
0: So, with the bank, you're, um, you're building your own bank. So, you've got like a modular board set up. Um, the board is uh, kind of like, like it looks like blueprints, basically. Um, you're installing a vault, you're installing a CCTV system, uh, you're assigning guards to different patrols. Um, but the um, the whole game has kind of been purposely designed to be as simple as it possibly can. So, the with the bank, you're either installing security into your into your bank, which is which is hidden from the robber, um, or um, you're upgrading one of your systems, so like the CCTV or the vault door, or maybe kitting out your guards or anything like that. For the robber side of it, you're, um it plays differently. So they're um, they work on decks of cards. So you're drawing cards from. Uh, pile of crew, um, equipment, weapons, plans, or support. And um, your decision is either to, to hustle, to get some cash, um, to plan, to draw some cards, or to physically send your crew into the bank to have a go at a heist.
1: It kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you've ever played an old PC game called uh, Payday. It, it seems to remind me of that. I mean, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you've ever played it, an old PC game called uh, Payday. It, it seems to remind me of that. I mean, granted granted, you're talking about the staff rather than cops in this case, but it seems to be that kind of you know one side versus, one team versus the other and all about how good the heist goes or how good the defences are. It seems to be giving me that kind of vibe.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think you're right to get that vibe, actually. Um, so... It's a very, it's a very kind of like classic theme, um, the, the heist theme. Um, but I think the the motivation behind us was kind of like looking at other. Once we kind of like, as a, because we kind of work as a team, so it's not just although I've kind of done the principal game design, it's like everyone's involved. Um, so once we kind of decided on the theme, it was looking at other games that are out there and realizing that actually, they're just like a little bit too pared down. They're a little bit too not not kind of simple in that word but there's just like not enough they're too abstracted there's not enough theme with it um so with perfect crime what we wanted to do was really kind of like put as much in there as possible so everything you can do is based on real life robberies everything you've seen in the movies um every game you've played all this kind of thing and the thing that payday does brilliantly um is it allows for a group interaction so the the robbers, the of robbers, kind of going in and how they're planning that and how they're negotiating and how they're kind of like bypassing everything, um, I think is really, really interesting. And so that's kind of where kind of the direction we've con- come from with this game.
1: So you mentioned doing it via co op, semi-co op, and competitive. How yep. does that change?
0: Yeah, okay. So
1: the um the uh, you've always so, you mentioned doing it via co-op, semi-co-op and competitive. How does that change? Yeah, okay. So, the, um,
0: the, uh, you've always got two sides. So you've got one person playing as the bank and the other side playing as the robbers. Um, Perfect Crime was originally designed as a two-player game um, because we really wanted to get that as solid as it could be um, and then kind of work upwards from there. Um, the... The way it kind of changes between co-op, semi-co-op and um, competitive. Um, so co-op, everyone's working together, you're... Um, Everything is a negotiation in terms of what you're doing and all that kind of thing, but the actions have been democratised between the different players so you don't have a situation like in like um, in Pandemic where you've got one player who just pops the whole thing and they go, right, okay, everyone, this is what we're doing, this, this and this, and everyone just goes, oh yeah, we have to do that, um, because that's the best thing to do. It's not as straightforward in Perfect Crime, um, because the... Um, the other side is, is a human person. It's it's, it's um, much more complex than you can ever get with an AI or even just a system of rules. So you have things that are happening which are completely unexpected um, and how the dynamic of that works, that's that's the whole thing. With the, uh, co-op, uh, with the semi-co-op and the competitive sides of it, um, semi-co-op is um, uh, teams of robbers kind of uh, team up against other teams of robbers. So not everyone's working together. You're kind of working with, you're working with some other people, but not everyone. And um, uh, competitive is everyone's working for themselves, but you're the bank. It's not easy to do bank robberies. I mean, kind of researching this kind of thing and seeing how hard it is for anyone to actually kind of like get away with it. Um, the uh, in the competitive side, you're kind of forced to work together, which means that you have this really interesting situation of. Um, uh, people kind of forming the temporary alliances but you've always got the risk of being backstabbed that kind of thing Um, and it changes the game quite significantly so this is why we kind of put as separate kind of um, separate modes almost if you want to look at it like that
1: no it does sound like it adds to the variety although I'm kind of glad that bank robberies are pretty hard to do I don't think it was the other way around
0: (laughs) well yeah I mean this is the thing it's dangerous making a game about bank robberies because Everyone kind of wants to do it because it's that whole vicarious thrill of like, well, come on, we can. How would you get get away with it and stuff? But actually, no one really wants to.
1: No, it just sound like it adds to the variety. Although I'm kind of glad that bank robberies are pretty hard to do. I'd like to think it was the other way round.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, this is the thing. It's dangerous making a game about bank robberies because everyone kind of wants to do it because it's that whole vicarious thrill of like, well, come on, we can. How would you get get away with it and stuff? But actually, no one really wants to do it because. The the real life kind of version of it is isn't like that great because like people die every now and again. You've got the whole police thing, all that kind of stuff. So um, this game is more like the A Team. I would say no one dies in this, um, and uh, you won't get arrested. It's much safer. Um, but at the same time, it still um, allows you to go through the whole kind of like thought experiment of how you would actually go about this and how you would do it and how you'd get away with it. Okay,
1: uh, I'm just reading the rest. of Okay, uh, I'm just reading the rest of the sort of description to it. It mentions like the fast setup, hidden information. So, uh, does everybody have like their own role, or is this just more a case of when you say you're laying out the defenses, that area is hidden, obviously?
0: Yeah, that's the hidden information area. So the um. Yeah, it's it's interesting because there's different ways to do it. Um, So yeah, so the hidden information is uh, when the bank's installing their security, they're uh, they're installing it all face down. So the robbers don't know what there is in the bank. Um, So their goal, so if they go in to do a heist, what happens is um, the robbers will equip their crew um, with everything they think they need, or hopefully they need to be able to bypass all the security that the bank has installed. So, um, and this is things like lock picks and plasma cutters and all that kind of stuff. the When they go into the bank, they've got to be careful not to generate um, suspicion. Suspicion is like when they get spotted by guards or if they trip something, um, because the bank uses that to um, give their guards kind of extra moves so they can go off and investigate things, um, to also to upgrade kind of certain aspects of their bank, which they'll need suspicion for, um, because you wouldn't upgrade something unless you're suspicious, you wouldn't have a reason for it. Um, but the other thing is to, um, uh, to trigger the alarm and call the police. Um, so if, they, if the robbers go in and they're like okay let's just go for it, then if they don't know everything that's there, they're kind of working on their feet and seeing if they can get past everything or if they can't, um, or they can choose to go through and kind of do more of a scouting thing to find out everything that's in there, because the hidden information is a really powerful thing for the bank, so the robbers need to find a way of kind of combating that
1: So how does each turn play out then? Because if you've got one side doing the scouting and finding out what's going on, sure. the the, the bank itself know who the robbers are in terms of these are the players. Yeah. So are they actually doing anything while... So how does each turn play out then? Because if you've got one side doing the scouting and finding out what's going on, the the bank itself know who the robbers are in terms of these are the players. So are they actually doing anything while they're scouting? Is it like turn by turn or real time, that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, totally. So game plays and days... Um, The day for the bank is uh, they receive money. Um, They can spend that money either on installing security or on upgrading a different system of their bank, so like CCTV or anything like that. The robbers, at the start of their day, they make a choice to either um, get more cash, um, to plan, to get more cards, or to go into the bank, and when they go into the bank, the, um, they're moving um, turn by turn, yeah, as you said, through the rooms. So it's kind of physically they have their robbers kind of moving through there with the guard patrols kind of moving around um, and working like that. The bank's got two different states, so it's either being attacked or it's not being attacked. So they're either on patrol or they're on alert. While they're on patrol, um, they are forced to follow the patrol routes that they've been assigned. So the bank players kind of like um, moving these guys around and then doing that kind of thing. The robbers, however, have got freedom of movement. So they, um, rather than being forced to make a move, they get um, uh, two, action, uh, two moves and an action each. So they can kind of go through. Actions can be things like um, maybe trying to persuade um, a, a guard um, uh, that they should be there rather than shouldn't be there. Um, it can be attacking a guard if you go down that route. Or it can be using um, something they've been equipped with. Um, but they have to be careful with that because that generates evidence which is used against them when the police turn up. So um, if they've accrued too much evidence because they've gone in and they've shot shotguns off and Uzis and all this kind of stuff, um, then um, when the police turn up, their response will be uh, measurably stronger than um, if the guys had managed to go through and kind of stealth the whole thing and work like that.
1: Okay. It does sound actually pretty sweet, i got to admit. It does, it, it's a theme that I haven't seen done before, this whole bank robbery thing. I can't think of any other example to really base it on. Yeah. So it's going to be quite unique in that sense. It's all going to come down... Okay, it does sound actually pretty sweet, i got to admit. It does, it, it's a theme that I haven't seen done before, this whole bank robbery thing. I can't think of any other example to really base it on. So it's going to be quite unique in that sense. It's all going to come down to just how well this like hidden information stays hidden, you know, especially if you've got groups chatting with each other, you know, they they've got to set up defences and discuss this without the other side hearing it, which is going to be a case of how that plays out. So okay, so I know the Kickstarter is actually funny enough. Supposed to be launching today, is it?
0: Uh, right, we're running a little bit late on that. I'm sorry. Um, so the um, uh, okay, so the the illustrator that we're working with is a guy called Nick uh, Ramo, who's um, Italian. He's worked in a couple of other games before, but he's got a really brilliant um, kind of graphic novel style, um, which um, he's just superb at. It's, it's really crisp. It's really gritty. It's um, just full of character. So we're not trying to make a beautiful game. We're making a game which is got loads of detail and character in it, so it's interesting
1: to look at that kind of thing. The um it's, it's all the, it's all in the eye of beholder in terms of it's it's all the, it's all in the eye of beholder in terms of like graphic work. I mean, the picture I've got here is a kind of demo artwork. I don't know if this is a game cover or just some. Sub- sample artwork it's got what looks like the bank itself like a scr- a nighttime scene almost like you're watching a batman cartoon or something and there's a guy standing outside it looking away from you uh smoking away he's got his hat and black coat on so you know he looks shady and it is kind of like an la noir almost not quite a bit more colorful than something like sin city but it it feels to me like I'm watching like the batman animated cartoon it's like gotham at night and to be fair that looks pretty decent in terms of artwork it it fits the theme a, a, you know Not making it sound too serious, but also not looking goofy either. I mean, you haven't, you know, not going with cartoony style artwork is a good thing, I think, with this one.
0: I think so as well. So, yeah, so basically Nick is running a little bit um, uh, against it. um, And um, we're running a little bit against it in terms of the edit for our video, which is taking a little bit longer than um, we're planning. So the idea is to just wait a little bit longer um, until tomorrow. Um, Nick will have the artwork. We'll have that. We'll put it. um, We can include that in the video um, and um, be ready to go from there. So, yeah, it's all go at the moment.
1: Yeah, so some point within the next couple of days, maybe even during the expo. Yeah, so some point within the next couple of days, maybe even during the expo itself. Now, nah, that's, that's fine. I mean, it gives people the chance to actually listen to this podcast and find out first.
0: <laughs> it will not be during the expo itself, it will be tomorrow.
1: All right, fair enough. You heard it here. You can hold him to that. <laughs> Are you going to have any. Demos of it or anything like to show off at the expo itself?
0: Yeah, that's our prime focus. So we've got a nice big booth. We've got loads and loads of tables and chairs. Um, and um, we um, are um, showcasing and playtesting Perfect Crime uh, while we're there. So we've got loads of sets. Um, we are giving um, everyone who playtests for us um, an exclusive promo card for the game. Um, assuming we fund, of course. Um, as well as um, a, 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 a Terralift dice as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully um, people want to play Test for us and um, because we want them to. So um, the um, the thing that kind of really improves game design is opening it up and um, having more people, I think, more eyeballs on it because you're getting all these opinions. Um, you're finding out not just kind of like the basic thing, which is could you break my game, please, and see if people can do it or not, um, but like um, finding people's ideas and kind of the, the thought process with this game is so lush because... People are like, oh man, it would be so cool if it had this, or had this, or how does that work, does that really make thematic sense, that kind of thing. So all of that's gone into this game, and at the Expo, we get to do that with loads and loads and loads of people, which is the most fun for me. So yeah. Uh,
1: Dibs on the table for that one. Yeah, come on do I don't think you'll have a trouble funding this one, though. I mean, the UK Games Expo, you've been there before, you know how packed it gets. Uh, dibs on the table for that one. I don't. I don't think you'll have a trouble funding this one though. I mean, the UK Games Expo. You've been there before. You know how packed it gets in terms of people showing up. And this year, I I've got no clue what's going to happen now because I've been, I think, two years now. Possibly, I think two, maximum three years, I've been. And it's been pretty cramped in the Hilton Hotel. There were so many rooms, but I know all you guys in the trade halls were packed in like sardines in those various rooms. And now there's no trade hall action going on at all in the Hilton. It's all in the NEC hall.
0: I think it's going to be a little bit like a mini Essen. That's what I'm hoping. Um, So kind of like one room rather than like kind of loads of rooms. But I've never been in the NEC before, but um, it's... I don't know, there's so many people for the expo. It's um, Yeah, I think it should be a really, really good atmosphere, actually, and a lot of fun. You're,
1: you're on the same wavelength as me, actually. You're, you're on the same wavelength as me, actually. I've, I've not done the ENEC properly, but when I looked at the hall plans, it did give me that sort of vibe of, oh yeah, this is going to be like Essen. And Essen, despite its size, wasn't too cramped, mainly because of the large floor space. So I'm hoping that by adding this floor space, it's going to make life a lot easier because it was a bit of a nightmare trying to walk around those halls sometimes. But then that depends on how many thousands of extra people they've now got <laughs> in for this <laughs> thing. So we'll see whether that it's just simply going, right, well here's a bigger space, now that's shove even more people into it we'll we'll soon find out Well,
0: yeah i mean i I think kind of like bigger space they've um they seem to have um done a really good job in kind of selling advertising for it um with some kind of really big kind of players um and i think that's been kind of fed back into um, uh, creating more publicity for it so i think this is a good thing Not just like for the UK scene, I think it's like more events like this and kind of large scale, more professional events are exactly kind of the thing that kind of our industry needs, really. So, yeah, I think this is really, really, really positive stuff. We certainly do need it around the UK in general. I mean, we only have the UK
1: Games Expo. We certainly do need it around the UK in general. I mean, we only have the UK Games Expo for a big convention of this size and it is good to actually see designers and podcasters and that actually turn up for it. I mean, I'm probably going to have to... Well, hopefully I'll get to see you know, Tom Vassell and Sam Healy when they come over as part of the Dice Tower Network so I'll be trying to get in on those shows. I think this year I'm going to focus pretty much on demos, shopping and seminars more than open gaming. I mean, obviously, I'll do that in the evening when the whole thing shuts. But in past couple of years, I seem to have kicked myself sometimes for spending too much time playing games rather than actually going around and checking out all the new stuff. Which is, you know, I can play games whenever I want. This is the only chance I'm going to get to see everybody all in one group. And on top of that, it's why I also don't do tournaments now anymore because...
0: They suck up so much time, don't they?
1: Oh, God, yes. First, first year I did Expo was nine hours of android netrunner doing the nationals and it was just it was a bit um, it was fun don't get me wrong i love netrunner but to do it for nine hours straight there's not many games i can think of that i'm willing to spend nine hours straight playing especially when those nine hours just sucked up my entire saturday and i enjoy netrunner but i'm not exactly national standard so you're essentially spending nine hours to come in like the in the midway point, so it's just like... I,
0: I had a, a similar thing with um, uh, playing Advanced Civilization one time. It was like, it's a long game. We knew it was a long game going into it, so we'd stocked up a food, all this kind of stuff. 14 hours later, I was, in, I was like kind of middle to bottom. I was like, what have I done here? It was...
1: yeah. Well, you mentioned Advanced Civilization. I've got the Mega Civilization there now, which I'm hoping, even though they've shut down the pre-booking, I'm hoping I can get in and get a slot early when the thing opens, because... They've got a game going on until something like 7 in the evening to 1 in the morning and it's supposed to be the quote-unquote short game (laughs) which anything from 7 to 1 being a short (laughs) game is like, you know, something a little bit dubious. But the thing is, I went because it was such a good-looking box and I love Civilization games, I bought this at Essen and it's still sitting on my shelf currently in shrink wrap because I'm too scared to open it and dare to absorb the rules. So I really need the designer of Mega Civ to sit there and go, right, this is how you play it for six hours, and then I can actually teach it and do it myself. Is there anything about the Kickstarter itself that you've got in mind? Because obviously, you know, obviously you wanted the funding now, but have you got any ideas of uh, stretch goals or anything, any... Sort of specifics about the Kickstarter you want to get across, or is it a kind of wait and see?
0: <laughs> so one the thing, one of the things which is like really nice about Perfect Crime is that it's got so much design space in it. There's so many things that you can do with it. There's so many places you can take it. Um, and the what kind of the the state it's in at the moment, it's taken so far, and we've kind of stopped. And uh, because we want to, um, we want to open it up. And we've done this. We did it kind of a little bit of Cornish smuggler. We did it a little bit of waggle dance. We'd like to do it properly with this one. Um, so give people kind of the real kind of influence to the real kind of like agency to influence the the design of the game. The yeah, the kind of final design of the game um, uh, themselves. So with. Um, with Perfect Crime, with the stretch goals, um, we have um, a whole load of upgrades which we're taking um, from the components all the way to the um, the design of it itself. So we have expansions planned, um, we've got loads and loads and loads of cards with this game, um, and uh, we're doing the whole. and loads of character cards. So we're doing the whole kind of illustrated backer type thing, but we're doing it. Um, so that people can actually choose exactly who they're having so it's not like i'm putting my name in i'll be illustrated as whoever you choose me to you um everyone will be able to choose exactly what they want and we're doing it really cheap so that everyone can be involved um because that's what we're after with this so um a little bit suck it and see a little bit kind of hang on see how it goes and um all of it very very exciting so yeah
1: Be able to try this out actually. This will have to be one I seek out specifically while I'm there because the theme with me. I mean, I'll ask about this in a minute. With me, it's always about the theme with a lot of games. Mm -hmm. I like dry. No, I look forward to being able to try this out actually. This will have to be one I seek out specifically while I'm there because the theme with me. I mean, I'll ask about this in a minute. With me, it's always about the theme with a lot of games. I like. Dry euros at times as well, but even my favourite euros things usually by Uwe Rosenberg and Vita Lacerda, tend to have a strong theme in there with them, and even Stonemire as well. So we're talking viticulture, Gallarus, Kanban, uh, Agricola, Caverner, all the all the games where the theme is still strong. So I could, so even if it's about mostly the mechanics, I can still immerse myself in what's going on. Now anything from the Amerifrash genre of chucking dice and doing all the sorts, then yeah, they tend to be the most thematic. And the more strong the theme can be, the more it will suck me in. If this one, Perfect Crime, manages to get the theme as good as you're saying it is, then wow, that's almost going to be like a shut up and take my money theme, really. <laughs> so, did any other games in particular influence the design of Perfect Crime? I mean, what sort of games are you into normally that may or may not have had an impact on?
0: Okay, so my kind of like my leaning is um, same as you with the theme. It's really important. I need games to. Be relatable. Um, uh, too abstracts and it kind of freaks me out. But at the same time, um, I'm much more kind of Euro than ameritrash trash. So um, I like to be able to strategize. I like to be able to kind of like see where I'm going, how I'm going to get there, and then just like kind of tear my hair up because someone's beat me to it. Um, that's the sort of thing that I really like with games. Um, in terms of kind of influence and all that kind of thing, um, I would say, oh, okay. So how would I say this? Um, so there's obviously um, a non-board game, there's obviously a little bit of Payday in this, um, uh, there's a little bit of Netrunner in this I would say, um, there's a little bit of uh, Lahav, or Lahavra, um, in this, um, and there's a little bit of RoboRally in it, I would say. Lahav
1: is an unexpected one to hear on that list.
0: <laughs> well, there's bits of it in here, so yeah it's um it's there's some really nice kind of math stuff kind of going on
1: so thanks very much henry um i'll let you get on and i look forward to seeing you and this game and the rest of Grublin games at the expo in literally a couple of days time
0: yeah Luke, thanks very much for having me on here and yeah see you in a few days
1: brilliant take care cheers now Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview, I hope that there was some snippets of information from my Games Expo preview that caught your attention, and if not, well, there was the first impressions there as a backup. But for now, I'm going to get on with editing this podcast because I want this to come out before the expo starts and I've also got to go to bed early so I can actually get up for tomorrow's long day of hours. But I'm going to get on with that and I look forward to seeing you all at the Games Expo on Thursday afternoon all the way to Sunday evening. I cannot wait. I'm sure you guys can't. It's going to be amazing. What more can I say? I'll be wearing the t-shirts hopefully so come up and say hi if you recognise the voice or just recognise me in general. Come up and say hi. I'd love to meet you you. So that's it for me. Take care. Enjoy playing games. Just hold on for one or two more days. It's almost here. The UK Games Expo is upon us. Bye-bye. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my podcast. Thank you for your continued support. If you wish to find out more, you can check out the website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. Alternatively, you can chat to me on Twitter at The Broken Meeple or search for my Facebook page under, of course, The Broken Meeple. This podcast is dedicated to the gamers like you who play the games I love. So take care, have fun, and enjoy the hobby. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like On Board Games or the Board Game Point of View podcast. Find out more
0: at Dicetowernetwork.com.